attack after a narrow squeak with Darwin Nunez. Got a lot of support to the right. Salah! Talk about a breakaway goal. Talk about. So close at one end and delirium at the other. Beavers and up and under. Is it keeper's ball? Has to go for the punch away. Overhead kick from Matthew Leckie. It silences the crowd. And Matthew Leckie with a spectacular goal. Send it away for Luke Shaw. Rashford! He is the man that they cannot silence. Now Burgess. Fast one on his left foot. Let's fly! First blood in the derby. And it's sky blue. Runs to celebrate with the supporters. Yes, hello again. Tuesday night means football night here on SEN. Happy Valentine's Day to one and all. If you're in love with the beautiful game, then you're in the right place. Simon Hill and Alex Bross back for another edition of the Global Game. Good to have you on board as well. And here's what's coming up over the next two hours. Derby delight for Sydney FC. We'll chat to Sky Blues head coach Steve Corica about their win at Wonderland. We'll review the rest of the A-League Ground 16 action and Newcastle midfielder Angus Thurgate joins us to explain how the Jets have taken flight. Spencer Pryor will be with us to preview the biggest Premier League clash of the season, Arsenal versus Manchester City. Alicia Carnavas is live to look ahead to the Cup of Nations. Can the Matildas give their fans belief that they can win the Women's World Cup? And Paul Williams is our man for Football Asia to look back on a stellar FIFA Club World Cup campaign for Al Halal. It's all to come between now and 11 o'clock right here on SEN. Yes, good to have you with us for the next two hours. Uh, Alex Brosk and Alex Molchanov in the studio with me. What about this, Brosky? Alex Molchanov says we've got a great opener tonight. Really good commentary. Oh, you're not on it, he says to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, well, Alex. <laughs> I just love, I, I tell you what I love. I love after Leckie's goal and you hear the ooh and then just silence. Yeah. It's br- <laughs> one of the best sounds in football when a, a away team scores it. A brilliant goal like that. Absolutely. Uh, Broski, what's your week been like? Um, it's been a bit quiet, and I mean, Valentine's Day today. Um, did, did you buy the bunch of flowers? No, I actually had a pretty boring day. The did kids, you get the card? Nothing, nothing. The nothing? Ki- well, the kids stayed home from school, so that didn't give me any alone time. <laughs> I'm spending the evening with you guys, so <laughs> that's my Valentine's so, Day right there. So you're in the kennel tonight when you get home. <laughs> yeah. um, Alex Moltenoff. Now, you were telling me before we came on air that uh, you were watching a former A-League import in action in the NPL New South Wales across the weekend. Uh, Loic Puyo. Uh, he's now playing, well, now signed for Rockdale. He started on the weekend against Apia Leichhardt in a 6-0 loss mm. at Lambert Park and was dragged off at halftime. So Ooh. things have gone downhill for Loic. He was with MacArthur for about three months, Yeah, I think. He's back in the country. 
didn't cover himself in glory. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, we have two prizes to give away, as per usual, a Global Game T-shirt from Striptease and a double pass to an early game of your choice. So uh, please get involved, as you always do. Uh, give us a call, 1300 0111 70. Sends a text, 0457 736 736. Or, of course, you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. But uh, let's get things started, as normal, with Starter for Five. Question one, Alex Brosk, 26,000 for the Sydney Derby, which was excellent, but only 15,000 attending A-League matches collectively elsewhere. Crowds are cause for concern, or post-COVID, it was always going to be a slow burn? Um, look, post-COVID, it was going to be a slow burn, but I do think more so that the move to, to, Paramount, to Paramount has definitely made us less visible. So I, I do think we need to be doing more to market the game, um, you know, to get that connection that was promised with the fans, you know, because you've seen in the derbies, great, great attendances and, and they are our big games and, and we have no drama selling those out, but it's the it's it's every other game yeah. that we struggle with. And it, it is tough to see because the quality's there, the football's been great. It's just getting our product more visible and in people's faces. It's that, it's that little glimpse of potential we yeah. see every few weeks, isn't it? Sydney Derby, Melbourne Derby, a big blue, an original rivalry, an F3 Derby, those marquee games and you think we could be onto mm. something here, but it's just not been able to kick on. And I think we need to do a lot more to yeah. get the crowds back in in bigger numbers. Uh, question two, Alex Moltinov. Rangers' decision, you might have seen this during the week, to allow Partick Thistle to equalise after they scored a rather controversial goal. Sportsmanship of the best sort, or if we demand that every week, the game will be fraught. I seem to remember Marcelo Bielsa ordering something like this at Leeds while he was in the championship. But absolutely, you've got to do this because if I'm the team playing Rangers next week, I've seen Tillman get up after being injured, injured in quotation marks, get back up, race, take the ball off the defender and score, then if I'm playing them next week, there's no way I'm, I'm kicking the ball out. I'm doing nothing to yeah. give them anything. So if you want that to keep happening, you want the game to be played in some sort of spirit, you have to give them that goal. Did he give reason as to why? Did, did he just not think they were going to get the well, ball back? Mm. I, I think I think Tillman was, had gone down and was about to get tr- or did have treatment for yeah. injury. And he says he wasn't aware that... Partick were about to give the ball back to Rangers. So he went and stole the ball and scored. And of course, all hell broke loose. Mm. What about the keeper trying, point to, on? <laughs> trying to stop it from going in at the very end? <laughs> That's as well. right. Oh, Alan no. McGregor was not happy. <laughs> no, he wasn't He wasn't keen. But uh, credit to Michael Beale. I think that yeah. was the right thing to do. And they won the game 3 2 anyway. Uh, question three, Alex Brosk. Only the Central Coast Mariners have a collective player average age under 26 this season. That's for minutes played. Youth development needs addressing right now or financial realities dictate when and how? Um, no, I, I think it needs to be addressed now because we we want kids coming through. That always used to be, I think, back in the day, especially more so in the NSL. And I may be, I may be, I may be wrong, but it just seemed like there were more opportunities for kids back in the day. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. But I think the Mariners, what they're showing is that you can have both. You can be blooding in youngsters, playing them, giving them the minutes they need, the league needs, and, and our country needs, right? If we want our Socceroos to do well, we need young kids playing so they, they can get moves overseas, and we the country benefits from that. The Mariners are showing that it can be done. Mm. It's just coaches around the league just being brave enough and, and, and doing it. Because Arnie did once say, 
you know, he, he tried to play a couple, a lot of kids in one season um, that famously didn't go too well. And he, and he did say, you don't win anything with kids. But the Mariners are showing that it, it can be done. Mm. thought that was Alan Hansen back in the day. Um, during the pandemic, we did have a, an average yes. age that was a lot lower. And Danny Tanzer has gone on record as saying, look, maybe this is just a, an evening out process. I don't know whether that's, you know, 100% correct, but uh, they say they're going to address this at some point. They are having discussions. I'd love to see the youth league return, but mm. I guess it also do, happen, it depends what happens with the national second division. Mm-hmm. Goodness me, there's about 15 different strands mm-hmm. in there. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Question for Alex Molchanov. The Premier League's financial power detrimental for the rest of the continent or their own fault for being comparatively financial incompetent. I hope you're impressed that I got continent and in- incompetent to rhyme there. Well, and you also packed some massive issues into the start of five we? this week. Um, the Premier League's financial power, we're going to go way over, so I'm going to fade the music here. Um, it's detrimental for the rest of the continent. And it's not the Premier League's fault that that's no. the case, but it creates this atmosphere where the Super League is popping its head up again this week and other clubs are going to be in a position where they're looking over at England going, there's no way we can compete with them unless we are setting up some sort of closed shop to guarantee we're getting the same money and the TV money. So, um, yeah, it's something that needs to be dealt with within the constraints of what we have now if if we want football to stay as it is. I don't know how that happens, but it's not healthy when we're looking every transfer window at the big player that wants to leave, and it can only go to two or three clubs. One Mm. of them is Manchester City, and admittedly, probably the other two are Real Madrid and PSG, and they're not in the Premier League, but that's not a healthy, thriving football environment, I don't think. I I think I also read something during the window that Southampton had spent more money than league and clubs collectively in the window which suggests, well, doesn't suggest, it underlines the fact that the Premier League has such financial might these days that uh, the rest of the continent is struggling to keep up. And yet it's not really translating into total dominance of the European club competitions, strangely enough. Do you not think that will happen over the next few years? Well, I mean, it's I been, it's been rumoured for a long time that, oh, you know, English clubs are going to win everything, but they don't. Mm. It, do, it doesn't happen that way. Mm. Um, and yes, it's probably this, the same handful of clubs, the Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, Bayern Munich's, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, who are, you know, the, the, the main challengers. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, question five. We have run out of music, but it doesn't matter. Alex Brosk. <laughs> Blimey, I, I've been busy with the start for five <laughs> questions this week. Football Australia shutting down questions on Saudi Arabia's sponsorship of the FIFA Women's World Cup. They did this at a press conference uh, only last week. Sanitising the media is an affront to the game or all the other codes do the same? Look, I, I guess my initial thought to the question is uh, this is going to keep happening. And at what point do we start to give... Saudi Arabia a chance. I mean, they're they're obviously talking the talk and saying, right, they're starting to do things. They're putting money towards Mm. women. All the things and all the issues that have come up, they're seeming to, not all of them, but they're seeming to start to address that. At what point do we say, okay, well, enough is enough. Like We're we're happy with I I have no problem with with a balanced view being put forward. And my issue really was the fact that the the, the journalists who attended that press conference weren't allowed to ask that question. Now, I am told that in subsequent one-on-one interviews with players and Tony Gustafsson, they were allowed to ask that question. Mm. Uh, But I think when you shut down questions from journalists at media conferences, that's a slippery slope. We're supposed to have a free media. And this is part of going to a press conference is you ask ask a question question and maybe that one gets batted away, but then someone else is asking it two questions later in a different format. That's part of the 
the to and fro of a press conference, yeah. correct? And the, and the players and coaches are adults. I mean, they can always say, look, I don't want to answer that or I don't have enough information or that's a question for the Federation or for James Johnson or whatever it is. Uh, my point is not whether they should answer the question. It's more that it should be allowed to be asked. That, that's the yeah. cornerstone of a democracy, isn't it? Well, sure. I, I, I don't understand it anyway. I mean, yes, this is a controversial topic, uh, very controversial, but, I mean, other codes thrive off controversy, yeah. you know? So, and there's nothing wrong, like you said, with asking the question. You, you find yeah. a way to answer it, but it has to be asked. Otherwise, we're not doing our job. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, that was starter 45. You got any views on that? 1300 Uh Send us a text, 0457 736 736, or tweet us at Global Game. SEN. One quick question from Matt McGurr via Twitter, Broski. Uh, we're seeing the Matilda's Centre of Excellence that is being built. Uh, when are we going to have one for the men and where should it be? Where should it be? I think um, Sydney has been mooted, yes. given that the Matilda's one is in Melbourne. So, And that is part of what Arnie's uh, contract has, has said, right? He's, yep. he's aiming to, to build up a base for the Socceroos. So um, if the... Yeah, I'd say it probably will be in Sydney. Yeah, if they can get the government money, which, of course, is uh, the missing link. State election <laughs> next March. There in we March. go. There, there, we there we go. Get out there on the hustings, football people. We need the cash. We need the facilities. Uh, this game doesn't have enough of them. We're off to our first quick break. On the other side of it, uh, we will speak to Steve Corica. We did a pre-recorded interview with uh, Steve this afternoon. He has commitments uh, tonight. Uh, so we'll talk to him about the derby win against the Wanderers at the weekend. So let's get stuck into the weekend's action and no other place we could really begin but with the Sydney Derby. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by Sky Blues head coach Steve Corica. Evening, Steve. Hi, how are you, Simon? Very good. How your season has, has taken such an upward curve? Is it just the return of key players like Alex Wilkinson or, or something else? I think that's the majority of the what's been happening. We've had a few injuries early on in the season uh, to, to key players. Obviously, Wilco and, and Jack Jack Rodwell, two centre-backs, make a, a big difference. Obviously, having one back is is great. Um, but I also think the form of LaFondra as well as has picked up in the in the recent weeks. And, you know, he had a bit of an injury problem as well at the start of the season. So um, definitely that. Definitely, you know, we've we've... You know, even the start of the season, people say we, you know, it hasn't been a great start. We played some great football in that period. And there's just been moments in games that we've switched off and, and cost us points. Um, but now, you know, it's changed a little bit um, and the moments are going our way at the moment. And obviously with three wins in a row, has put us right in uh, contention again. And Bimby, mate, I will ask you the, the the good juicy questions out of the out of the weekend's games. So obviously, you and Rudin, mate, it was great to see a bit of tension on the sidelines, not just on the pitch. But talk us through that. I mean, obviously, you you made a few comments after the game about the way that they celebrated, you know, after they beat uh, you guys at Allianz, and and the fact that you know you can win, but you've got to do it with class. What did Rude say to you after that game? What happened there? Um, yeah, I, listen, I just went to shake Rudy's hand after the game and he, he shook my hand and then I was walking off and he, he said a couple of things. Um, don't really want to repeat. I think he said a little bit in the in the press himself what he thought of our team and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and, you know, I just, you know, obviously I called him what I did in, in the presser. So, um, yeah, he, obviously we're both very passionate. We both want to win games. Um, you know, I, I thought... After they beat us at our home ground, it wasn't 
great. I, I took it on the chin. We we lost. They celebrated like they had won the grand final. And basically, I just reminded our players about that. So, you know, we spoke about it. They wanted payback. And um, we got it in the end. You know, we got a, a fantastic away win, 1-0, fantastic goal. Um and I think defensively we were we were very strong. You know, we went through the the review and they didn't really have many chances at all. We had we had the better chances of the game without a doubt. So safe to say you didn't share a glass of wine post game. <laughs> no, and I'm not sure we will be in the future either. So <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned your defence there um, being strong, and at times that has seemed to have been the major issue with you so far this season uh you, you conceded now just four in your last four games again is it just the return of alex wilkinson or or is have you tweaked something tactically or in terms of your organization to try and address that issue no we, we've obviously worked on the defense a, a lot more but i think it does help when you've got a player like wilco coming back in it uh you know raises the standard the communication levels he's just an organizer he's he's really um, very good. Uh, I think he's helped Diego as well from that left-hand side. I think um, just by his communication and being in the right places with his experience. And, you know, the boys lift when a player like that returns. And, um, you know, we obviously needed him. Um, and it's similar when Jack plays as well. You know, the boys lift. They know what you're going to get with these kind of players and the experience they bring to the team. So um, it's definitely has helped have a will go back and he's been a, a major part of why the season's turned around. Yeah, for me, it is no coincidence. I mean, people, you know, ask the question of what Wilco brings and, and the experience, and it's hard. It is hard to put into words. You have to be at the ground. You have to see him organising mm. and, and talking to everybody. The communication you mentioned, Bimby, that that's something mm. that again is priceless. But you notice the difference when he is there. So another look, you mentioned Lafondra, and he's returned to form, scoring goals. He obviously went off with a hamstring injury. How, how has he had scans? How's he looking? He has. It's, it's not great. I think uh, he's probably going to be missing until probably the international window. So he's probably going to miss the next four or five games, uh, um, which is not great because I thought he was he was really returning to his best. He looked sharp. He was doing really well. And then does that mean – so where do you – looking forward to this weekend's game against Brisbane, you know, you, you've used Robert Mack up as the number nine before. Mm -hmm. Is that the way you're looking or, you know, one of the young um, boys throwing them up top? Yeah, I think Robert Mack's a good option. Um, you know, he's he's played there before for us, but also Woody as well. There's an opportunity there for him and even Kacharski as well. Parsons is another one that, you know, we could all also throw up there, which hasn't had a lot of game time. And obviously against this old club as well, we'll we'll see how the rest of the week pans out. Um, but there 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 are options, I think, in the in that front line. Steve, sorry to return to your defence again. Um, two players that you've mentioned, Jack Rodwell and Diego Caballo. Uh, Two-parted question. First of all, have you been frustrated that you haven't been able to get Jack on the pitch on a more regular basis? Because there's obviously no doubting his quality, where the, the leagues mm -hmm. and levels that he's played at. And secondly, given your repatriation of Joel King, if we if we can call it that, what does that mean for Diego Caballo? Is it just competition for him, or do you see him perhaps playing a slightly different role? Um, yeah, possibly as well. I think with Jack, I think he's frustrated as well being injured. Obviously, we all are a little bit frustrated with um, you know him being out so long. Um, so definitely, you know, on both sides, I think we're we're all a little bit frustrated in that manner. But you know, we're 
we'll get him back and hopefully he'll stay fit for the remainder of the season. If he does, he'll, he'll bring a lot to the team, not only in defence, but I think he'll actually... He gives us other options as well. He's played in midfield. He's played as a number 10 for the Wanderers last season as well. So he does actually give you a lot of uh, depth and, and quality as well. So that's something we will start to look at as well with him, with Wilco being back. Um, and with, with Diego, there is an option to play him a little bit further forward if if that's um, something we, we want to look at as well, which we spoke about. Um, but Joel King's obviously on loan till the end of the season, and then we'll see after that. I think Diego Cabello has been excellent in the last two games. Um, it's a coincidence that that Joel King has been back for them two games, so he's obviously lifted as well. But no, he's he's a very good player, Diego. If you look at all the stats, his uh, progressive passes, forward passes, his balls into the box, he's right, he's right up there. So, and I think now defensively with Wilco beside him, he's he's doing a lot better defensively as well. So. Um, I think that's helped him with with Wilco being there. And what about the mood in the camp? I mean, obviously, I mean, the belief, I, I struggle to think that the belief's been an issue with this team. It's a great team, a lot of experience. So have you noticed a change just in getting those three wins in a row now and looking forward, seeing where the team is? You know, what's the mood been like in these first couple of days back at training? It's definitely changed, I can tell you that much. The boys are loving it see three games in a row, their confidence grows. Um, you know, there's always been the belief, and um, but it does take a little bit of a, a shock, you know, sometimes when you when you lose a few games on the trot, you know, um, it's never easy and the confidence, you know, it does get a little bit lower. So um, we've worked our way, obviously, to three wins now and, um, you know, it's a good opportunity against Brisbane as well at home now this weekend to to put on our fourth win in a row. So that's what we're aiming for. We want to we want to keep building, but there's definitely been a change in the mood, definitely with the players. You can see it. They're a lot more confident and their belief is definitely right back up there. Uh, Steve, before we uh, close this conversation off by asking you about Brisbane at the weekend, uh, we do always open up um, the Twitter line for questions. There is one here from uh, Jason FC. Uh, to Steve, why did you let Paddy Yazbek go before the end of the season and we have no replacement, particularly with Adrian Segacic and Jake Girdwood-Reich also being called up for the under-20s? The bench is now so thin to compete in the finals if we make it. Yeah, well, that's obviously something, um, you know, we didn't know Sega and Gerwood Wright would be in the Young Socceroos at the time, obviously, when when this all happened. And, you know, it was the only time we could let him go um, to the club that wanted to wanted to buy him. So, um, you know, we got very good money for him, obviously, uh, which helps. And, um, yeah, it, there was a time period on it. So we couldn't wait till the end of the season. We had to make a decision. Uh, to let him go. And at the time, he wasn't playing. He was on the bench anyway, and he has been on the bench. So we, we do have depth at, in the squad there. Obviously, you know, it's going to make it very thin when three of them go away. Um, but, yeah, we do have depth in that position there. And we've got, like you said, uh, with Cabello, maybe even can play a little bit further forward in them positions there. So it's uh, it's no problem, obviously, for the players that are coming in. You've got Retre that can play there. You know, you've got Ceres that can play there, Maxi Burgess that can play there. So there's there's uh, there's a number of players that are in, in that position that can fill that spot. Final one, Steve. Um, again, it's sort of a two-part question. Uh, this weekend, you, f- you face Brisbane. They they beat you 3-1 up in Queensland earlier on in the season, which maybe, I, I don't know whether you agree, was, was the low point of your season so far. Do you feel as though you owe them one? 
And just thinking back to that particular day, was that perhaps the toughest moment of your coaching career so far? Because the knives were out a little bit. Um, I, I know it, the, the actual performance, the first 20 minutes was probably our worst performance for, uh, well, this season, I would say. Um, but after that, it wasn't that bad, to be honest with you. If you look at the the whole game, we had chances actually to get back in that game. And um, you got to remember as well in that game, we had Donaghy out, Wilco out, Rodwell out, LaFondra out, um, uh, Joe Lolly as well. Uh, was on the bench because he was sick all that week. So yeah, it's uh, there's a big change, obviously in the in the quality that are you know them players that we just spoke about. So obviously we've got a few of them players back. You know, with with Adam out now again, it gives Woody another opportunity or whoever we play up front, Robbie Mack, um, and uh, to do to do a lot better. But yeah, it's definitely another thing that we weren't happy with in that game, um, the result obviously, but also that the first. 20 minutes for me, we were 2 0 down and we were we were nowhere. And you know, we've got to obviously do a lot better. We'll be at home this week as well. And and we want to use that as motivation as well to to beat them. You skillfully dodged the bit about the toughest bit in your coaching career, but we'll let that slide. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we recognize you're busy and uh, wish you all the very best of luck against Brisbane this weekend and for the rest of the season. Thank you, sir. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, man. And John has sent us a message via that text line, 0457-736-736. John says, gents, love that discussion to open the show. Someone mentioned the Super League popping up again. Is it legit or the same three clubs, Juventus, Barcelona and Real Madrid, being their petulant selves again? Is there a chance? Uh, I think, Broski, they've come out over the last couple of weeks and said uh, we're going to go for an 80-team Super League. 80. Yeah. Okay. I don't quite know how that's going to work. Um, but, yeah, it's clearly still there bubbling along underneath the surface. Um, I mean, the issue is is that all the other European clubs that are not part of the Premier League, they want this, as we discussed at the top mm. of the show, uh, because they want to bridge that financial gap. And this is one way of doing it. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't see that the Premier League would, would be involved or the Premier League clubs would be involved in open discussions mm. with them at the moment because they've they've signed a declaration with the Premier League that they're not going to do that. But okay. who knows? No, that Super League chat's got to go. Yeah. I still think it might happen at some yeah. stage, you know. Yeah. It could be decades away. Well, I, I don't agree. want it, I, I think but it I think some, it's at inevitable stage. at some stage because it keeps, you know, rearing its ugly head, doesn't it? And maybe over time the opposition to it grows less and less. I hope not because I think it would be Kill the game. Yeah, the end of it. But uh, anyway, we shall see. Uh, thanks for that, John. Um, our A-League review today, thanks to Keep Up. Download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new A-Leagues All Access. Uh, this week on Keep Up, all the fallout from the Sydney derby with Steve Corica and Marco Rodin clashing after the final whistle. And Neve Brissenden previews the Cup of Nations, which kicks off on Thursday night in Gosford. You can get all that and more, of course, at keepup.com.au or on the Keep Up app. Uh, keep those texts coming in. Don't forget, we've got two tickets to give away to an A-League game of your choice and one of our global game t-shirts as well made by striptease uh let's uh, review round 16 broski then starting with uh, the sydney derby obviously we've heard the sydney fc perspective from uh steve corica but uh, it was a bit of a spicy game wasn't it what, what did you make of the big talking point which was the red card to yenny umbakoto with just over or just under 30 minutes to play 
Well, I mean, any time you raise your hand like that to an opponent's face, um, you're going to get sent off. I don't think there's any arguments there whatsoever. I see what he was arguing himself, that he got body checked by Paolo Retre. But again, the retaliation is going to be an automatic red card. So it is what it is. I mean, we've all had brain phase. I've had a couple myself over, over the years, which, um, you know, got me sent off and, and hurt my team. But... Um, yeah, hopefully he does learn from that and, and, and realises you can't hit a player in the face. Even with only 10 men, the Wanderers had opportunities. Yes. Um, Marco Rodan has obviously instilled something of a siege mentality into his team. Brandon Borello was critical of Sydney's performance afterwards, uh, called it bang average. I know you're not <laughs> going to agree with that. But in some ways, given what they've been through over the last three uh, few years, not being able to make the final since 2017, as everybody knows, is that the right approach to make it us against the world? So Alex Ferguson did it pretty well with Manchester United. I think all good managers are able to do that. You you need to have, um, you know, because it's not just the derby. I mean, they've been able to do that, the Wanderers, all year round. So you need to have that siege mentality that, you know, everyone is trying to take away something from you, you know, because if it's fine getting up for the, for the derby, but then you're playing other teams the week after and you need mm. to have that same level of intensity um, and, and, and anger that's fueling you. So I think, look, what Roots is doing there is great. The way he spoke after, uh, look, a few of the comments, what you don't want to do is give the opposition motivation, which is exactly what they did after the first game. You know, Sydney, they won this one. They've, they've handled it quite well. No real big comments. It's again, actually the Wanderers who end up looking, you know, bitter with all these comments um, and give Sydney more motivation the next one. Yes, Sydney were average. I, I don't think that's that was harsh, his comments. Um, but saying that after a loss, you know, regardless of how you've played, there's games where you play the house down, you play fantastic and you still lose. That happens in every week, every yeah. week of football. So what you don't want to do is you, you do want to have that siege mentality. You don't want to give teams reason to want to beat you as well, you know. Cheers up for the derby next month. is going to be something Ooh, yeah. special, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, maybe a Sydney derby to come in the finals as well. Who knows? Uh, Brisbane Raw 1, Central Coast Mariners 2. That's uh, kicked off the round. Uh, an important win, that, for the Mariners because they've gone three without one. Uh, keeps them in second place. Uh, Benny and Kololo's second-half penalty proving to be the winner. A game of two, let's call them rather controversial penalties, mm -hmm. Broski. And, I mean, I was commentating this game. We didn't get the best angles to look at the replays. And I think the VAR are seeing the same pictures as we are. And that's the problem, isn't it? If you're not getting the right angles to make it conclusive, then VAR becomes problematic. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's pointless, right? If, we're not, if the VAR is not getting the right angles and that's not then passed down to the referee, then what's the point of the VAR? That's the whole point. Mm. They're there in the first place to make things easier for the ref and, and for, to, make, you know, to help out with decisions. So, look, the raw penalty for me... I thought was um, was very soft, uh, and again without definitive angles. I didn't really think, um, you know, they had uh, the, the the striker had actual control over the ball. It wasn't a hard bump. There, there was it was very very soft. But then, um, you know, the other one I thought probably was a, a bit more clear cut. The player's trying to clear the ball. Scott Neville. He's trying to clear the ball, and, and in doing so, he doesn't actually get it because the striker puts his foot in the way. So it's it's one of those cheeky tactics that strikers used um, to try and get that contact and go down. Um, I used to try it as well myself. And, and uh, I was going to say, spoken of, as well, a man of experience. And that's why. I'm watching that and thinking, I don't know exactly why he's done. Yeah. And in the end, he got the penalty. So what do you okay. do? It's just hard for a referee to overturn that when 
there's been clear contact. A uh, quick word on Raw. Six games without a win now. Goals still a massive problem for them. The lowest scorers in the competition. They've signed Robbie Cruz, who didn't play against the Mariners. Stefan Stjepovic came off the bench. Is that enough for them to turn it around? Do you see enough goals in this team to challenge for the six? Well, it, it's something. I think with those two coming into the squad, look, Robbie Cruz is not um, you know, as much a prolific goal scorer as just the fact that he... He does get his fair share, but it's more the presence he has up there. He can provide a spark. He, he, I think, can just add something to this to this raw side. They, they're quite, you know, they go forward, but they just they are just lacking a goal scorer. There is intent there. There's good quality at times, but it's just lacking someone who can score. And I think maybe with Robbie Cruz, um, you know, coming in and 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 a goal scorer as well, it could turn things around. I think just something different might just give mm. him the spark. We'll see how they go against Sydney this weekend. Uh, Western United 2, Adelaide 3, uh, a wild game at Amy Park. Uh, Western 2 up, seemingly cruising with half an hour to play. Back came the Reds, three goals, bang, bang, bang. John Aloisi taking aim at referee Sean Evans for not sending off Nestori Irankunda, uh, which he felt was a game-changing decision or non-decision. For me, it was a game-changing decision. Um, and, you know... Many people look at Johnny and the fact that he's bringing this up as, as a way of, um, you know, deflecting, which, you know, in, in one way it is. But as a coach, those decisions frustrate you, especially if you're not getting them week on week. I mean, you can handle the inconsistencies and, and, and as long as um, as long as they, you know, just as easily as he got, he didn't get this decision this week, next week he gets them. And he doesn't seem to have been getting uh, a lot of them throughout the year. So that can be frustrating, particularly when you are at the bottom of the league. I mean, that just makes it so much worse. So I think they were hard done by there. For me, Aaron Kunda should have been sent off. It was a yellow card um, and it would have changed the game. Yeah, and uh, Johnny also pointing out that Western have never won when Sean Evans refereed, so he might be a, a little <laughs> bit lighter in the pocket at some point. Well, uh, it was just a statistic, right? He wasn't. Uh, yeah, he said it's actually insinuating anything. It's a fact. He was which just pointing is. out something he noticed. Uh, uh, <laughs> Perth Glory two, Melbourne City four. Um, that's a, a good win for the league leaders, given how strong mm. Perth have been at Macedonia Park so far this season. A couple of great goals as well. Matt Leckie's yep. bicycle kick the pick, but. I tell you what, Geordie Boss's was pretty good as well. And we've got a text from Stuart saying, could Geordie Boss be the player to finally break Zelko Kalitz's domestic transfer record of $1.3 million? I'll, I'll, I'll answer that quite off the bat and say yes. Wow. I think he's an absolute gem, Geordie Boss. He definitely I think he's is. got he everything. He does. The way he cut inside there and hit that with his right foot, the confidence to do that, the confidence in the box, I mean, to, to take players on there and, and, and take it on himself. I think he is a very, very exciting uh, talent. Uh, Daryl Lutchman, of course, sent off, which uh, opened the door for City to take all three points. The 31st red card this season. That's an average of almost two per weekend, which is incredible. Uh, As for Perth, uh, of course, they've been very good at Macedonia Park, but three of their next five on the road. So they've got to sort of transfer that to Mm -hmm. uh, their travels if they're going to be in the top six. Uh, another couple of texts on City. No name on this one. Uh, City going over and winning in the West just sh- uh, goes to show how mentally tough this team is, uh, giving uh, picking up three points where no other away teams have. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, and from the same number, Broski, where does this City team rank amongst all-time A-League teams? I presume he means best teams like Brisbane Roar or the Sydney FC team that uh, went back-to-back. Mm. 
good that question. you played in? Good question. Um, <laughs> and I am going to be biased. Aren't I? <laughs> no, look, it is a fantastic team. I think I think the comment that we saw there was right. I mean, to go away um, in Perth and and you know do what they did there, win four two. No one's been able to do it, and and someone inevitably was going to. But it was City the way they did it. Um, look, they're a great team. They've got a great goal scorer, great quality players all around the park. They're definitely one of the um, the great teams. And if they go on and you know, uh, they they need to win though, right? Yeah. To be considered well, one of the greats, you my, need to win. My point was going to be that it depends on how you judge football, right? Mm. Because uh, Brisbane Raw won back-to-back titles. Sydney mm. FC won back-to-back titles. Melbourne City could win three consecutive premierships. Now, the only team that's ever finished first three seasons in a row in the whole history of the National Leagues, Sydney City back in 1980, 81, 82, and they didn't have grand finals in those days. So you're right. So it depends on what how you view it, whether premierships are more important or grand finals. Now, in Australia, of course, we tend to judge that grand finals are, are more important. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting discussion point. Maybe you've got a view on it. 0457736736. Uh, Newcastle Jets defeated Melbourne victory. We're going to talk to uh, the Jets' Angus Thurgate after the break. So we'll just focus on victory for a moment. Uh, their return to form somewhat short-lived uh, Broski. Uh, they've got the Melbourne Derby coming up, which is, is massive at the weekend. Uh, but they remain rooted to the foot of the ladder. It's, it's not going according to plan. I don't think anybody would have predicted this at the season's outset. And nobody, definitely not at the, the season's outset, but even now, I mean, watching the, every week you see the lineups come up and you see how strong victory are. You see that Tony Popovich with his record and how good he is as a manager, he's in charge of this team. And you just think this is the week and it doesn't seem to, to happen. And every win that they do get, which hasn't been many, but they beat Wellington last week 3-1 and you think, right, here we go, they're about to build. And it's, I just don't know. How it's happening, to be honest. Uh, Billy has texted us, guys. Why is victory so bad? On paper, their squad looks strong, but on the pitch, they look. I think it, I think the initial one was dystinctional, but it's been changed to dysfunctional. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, that's. I think that's a fair comment, Billy. I mean, yeah, they are playing less than the sum of their parts at the moment, and it's it's a real head scratcher as to why. Uh, let's finish off with Macarthur two, Wellington one. Another crazy game to finish the round. Broski three penalties all saved. Philip Curto in particular, unbeatable. Uh, from 11 metres and those uh, misses for Wellington proving uh, costly. They did and and look, a big bounce back for MacArthur. You know, after last week we spoke about how poor they were and, you know, after everything with Dwight York and then losing 6-1, just a, a re- they were in a really bad place and they had to respond um, and they did. You know, they, they beat a, a Wellington team who's been playing very good football um, so look, I think credit to Mile Sturjovski and, and what he's been able to do in that short time to turn things around and get some belief back into these players because like I said a 6-1 defeat um, is never a good sign of where you're heading but to bounce back and, and, and win this week was good from them. Sure was and another big round coming up uh, this weekend Sydney Brisbane on Saturday MacArthur Newcastle on the same day and then the big Melbourne Derby 7.45 kickoff uh, Adelaide against Western Sydney Wanderers on the Sunday. So uh, lots of great matches to look forward to. We're off to another quick break. On the other side of it, we will talk more about the Newcastle Jets win over Melbourne victory with the Jets midfielder Angus Thurgate. Back soon. Now, a few weeks ago, the Newcastle Jets seemed to be in free fall in early January. The Jets were down in 11th and had lost seven of their 11 games. Since then, Arthur Pappas' team have gone on a five-match unbeaten run albeit three of those matches having ended in draws. On Sunday, of course, 
They beat Melbourne Victory 2-1. And I'm delighted to say midfielder Angus Thurgate joins us now to talk about their resurgence. Evening, Angus. How are you? Hello, guys. Good, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, really good. Thanks for joining us on the Global Game. Uh, so what's caused the turnaround? Yeah, look, um, if I could tell you exactly what it is, I'd probably be a rich man. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the message from, from the coaching staff and, and around the boys has just been that, you know, the the tightness of the league, that if you if you just get on one or two runs, you're, you're right up there in the, in the finals mix. So, you know, I think that's really helped us keep the belief and... and and I guess start to turn things around for us. But outside of those comments, you know about how tight the league is. Has he has has Papas changed anything in particular in terms of training or or the way he's are playing or, or being a little bit more positive? Has there been any changes you've noticed? Uh, yeah, I guess they have. They have had just to you know take more risk in the front third. But uh, the message you know all throughout the season has been you know keep sticking to what we're doing. I guess we had. We had a decent turnover at the the end of last year, so you know it always takes time for things to click and and things to fall into place. But you know consistency was the message, and and just keep improving on and what we can control and, and taking steps forward as a team. Now you got a big win against Victory at the weekend. So you had to dig in a bit in the second half. Got a bit of luck maybe with uh, the disallowed goal and and the penalty shout towards the end. Uh, sometimes those things go against you when you're not in the right half of the table. But uh, it, it seems to be going your way at the moment as well in that regard. Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. Too, <laughs> <wasn't it>? uh, <laughs> Come on, Angus. <laughs> No, nah, for sure. Yeah, I guess you know that's just that's just the rub of the green. Sometimes it's with you, and sometimes it's not. So yeah. you know, I guess you can just put yourself in the position. And yeah, like you said, we had to dig for it, and um, you know, it was testing testing conditions, the wind and and the heat. But um, yeah, you know, I guess it, it we showed some good character, albeit some some calls. You know, whether they were the right ones or the wrong ones, that's that's football. At the end of the day, you can't yeah. really get caught up in that too much. Uh, and you had to change things a bit at the last minute pre kickoff, of course, as well with the injury to Reno Piscopo. Um, that must have been quite disruptive for you. And is there any uh, news on on Reno? Do you know what the injury is and how long you might be out for? Uh, I haven't. I haven't heard any news. Uh, we had a day off today, so mm. it'll probably be a bit clearer tomorrow. But yeah, for sure. You know, Reno's a, a top player, and I feel like the timing of the injury is probably not ideal because. He was just starting to hit some hit some good form and you know get some consistent game time under his belt and he's a great player for us. Um, you know he he adds a lot of you know attacking flair to to our game and you know it makes our job easier in the middle to just get in the ball around the box and knowing he'll he'll create something. But in saying that, you know I thought Costa stepped up really well, took his goal nicely and you know he was rewarded with a with a good preseason and a a good start of the season as well. It was a very well-worked goal, actually, a free kick. I mean, your assistant coaches generally take those and very rarely do they come off as a, according to plan. But that one was perfect. And Costa himself, he seems a popular character in the change room. Yeah, for sure. You know, he's he's a he's a good kid. He's a, he's a top player. And I feel like, you know, this this goal will just give him a world of confidence, confidence to, to continue to grow and, yeah, really show show the league what he can do. Angus, I wanted to ask you about your role in the team. You played in a couple of different positions in that Jets midfield. So where are you most at home? Do you prefer playing a bit deeper or a little bit further forward? Uh, I think, I think personally, you know, I love, I love getting forward and, and getting into the box. Um, you know, I think you know that's that's the best part of the game, isn't it? Trying to trying to sort of score some goals and, and arrive late into the box, but. 
I guess, um, you know, I've, I've got a fairly free role uh, at Newcastle. You know, Arthur, you know, gives me a lot of, a lot of belief and a lot of, you know, encouragement to, to get forward, but he also expects me to, to, to get back as well. So, um, yeah, anywhere, anywhere is that number eight, just, just Romy, I think, is, is best suited for me. Speaking per- personally, watching you play, I mean, I do prefer you further forward. You are very much a box-to-box midfielder that, you know, does his defensive work, wins the ball, goes forward. But, mate, when you're scoring goals and having strikes on goal, that's that's when I see you um, in, in your best position. I mean, you do have the one goal this season. Is it something that um, Arthur is trying to get more out of you of, trying to get into, into more goal-scoring positions? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, you can you can always always be working on things and, that's something that he's that he's encouraged uh, me a lot, um, you know, trying to get forward and and break into the box. Um, I think on the weekend, you know, he even said to me at halftime, you you might not be able to get forward as much in the second half because because uh, you know people were running their legs and the late change to the midfield. He just wanted to secure some some stuff up. But yeah, most of the time he's he's encouraging me and sometimes even at training giving it to me a bit for not getting forward. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, um, I've got. Definitely got the support and the the freedom to to roam up there and yeah, uh, add more goals is definitely a, a goal of mine. Uh, this weekend, Angus, you got Macarthur away. Uh, I think they inflicted your last defeats back on the eighth of January. So, do you owe them one? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I think um, you know we'll be going into that full of confidence. I think you know we we said you know I think that's five games for us unbeaten now and. Although it's been, you know, two wins and, and three draws, can't get ahead of ourselves. But you know, like I said before, you know, one or two runs and, and you're you're right in the mix for finals football, and, and we'll continue to to push and and push for the three points again this weekend. Speaking of finals football, I mean, the Jets fans they haven't had a lot to shout about in the last few years. It's been five years since the grand final. Um, what is the feel? I mean, halfway through this year, you're sort of just on the edge of the six there. There's obviously a push to try and make the finals, and you would believe that. But is there a, a feeling that this year could be different? Yeah, look, um, I guess you know we've we've there's no there's no doubting our belief inside our camp. Um, you know, even when we were <clears throat> going through that tough patch, you know, earlier on in the season, we were still still uh, you know hopeful of a of a turnaround and and you know prosperous that we would make the finals. But yeah, I guess you know Newcastle fans. Fair enough that they they don't expect us to make the finals. It, it like you said, it's been five years of of inconsistency. But yeah, I think I think the way the league is and and the the, the momentum you can gain in this league, it's 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 one or two good runs away from really being up there in the finals. And and like I said before, I really do believe that if we get in there, we can we can shake it up for sure. Well, you're certainly on one of those runs at the moment and three points against MacArthur would help at the weekend. We wish you all the very best of luck with that. So uh, just one final quick one. Of course, yeah, you know to everybody is the Port Macquarie Pele. How, how does that <laughs> sit with you? And do, do you get a bit of stick for that in the dressing room? <laughs> I'm, not a bi- I'm not a big fan of it, to be honest with you. I don't know who, I don't know who came up. It might have been Andy Harper. Could have been. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, um, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't mean you can compare anyone to Pele, really, except for Messi or Ronaldo. So, well, you're the closest. You're the closest thing to have come out of Port Macquarie to Pele, though, Angus. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's one way to look at it. But no, I'm not the biggest fan of it. <laughs> yeah, the lads do give it to me a bit, to be fair. I'll bet they do. Hey, Angus, thanks so much for spending some time with us on the Global Game tonight. Good luck at the weekend. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Don't go.
Special request, Spencer Pryor. We don't see you anymore, Spencer. You're over there in New Zealand. Happy uh, Valentine's, lover. Uh, hello, lovers. <laughs> he put in a special request for Barry White, so there we go. Uh, good to talk to you, Spencer. Um, obviously, it's a big week with Arsenal playing Man City at the Emirates. Before we look ahead to that one, let's look back on how they did at the weekend. And uh, Arsenal slipping up again, but a, a whole load of VAR controversy at the Emirates, Mikel Arteta fuming. Yeah, standard VAR messing up and uh, Howard Webb's all in a tiz over it. And yeah, they've got to get it right. They have to, you know, it's it's supposed to take out human error. And they're (laughs) going, it's the people that are working it. Then it's, everything is just human error still. So look, (laughs) if they can't work it properly, you've got to get rid of it or you've got to, I don't know what you've got to do with it. Go and, go and play with it in the reserve league or something, but get do get it properly working. Blaming human error for something that's not it's supposed to be foul proof. But which... it would appear, Spenner, that hell will freeze over before VAR goes, both in the UK, elsewhere, here. and here. Yeah, yeah, it's here and it ain't going anywhere. But just get it working properly, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so 1-1 one, one between Arsenal and Brentford, uh, which allowed Manchester City to close the gap. 3-1 uh, over Aston Villa. Uh, Rodri, Gundogan and uh, Riyad Mahrez on the score sheet. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a frog in the throat. Which uh, all sets up the clash between the two on Thursday morning Australia time at the Emirates. Uh, City would go top if, if they could win it. Arsenal still have a game in hand, of course. Uh, who wins yep. it and why? Uh, Man City don't lose it. Right. I think I think they'll, they'll get a draw or a win. And I think I think I'm going on that on the pretense they've got good. They got they got great depth and they can freshen up um, and they can rotate and put other players in. Nakake came in. I, I won't be surprised if he. I'll be, I, I think he'll start against Arsenal. Mm. I just got a little sneaky that he he didn't play him on. On the weekend, because I think he'll play him in this game against Arsenal. Will Haaland play? I think he's one of the best events. Well, we've seen he's got a knock, right? And he's going to screw up my fantasy team. I've got I've tripped, I've got, I've got him as captain this weekend as normal <laughs> in my fantasy team. So he better bloody play. If he doesn't, I think it's more a case that they're going to... He said he's got a knock and they won't risk him. They've got Champions League game coming up. So... I, I just think you don't you don't go all in on this one game. He's got enough depth. He can move Alvarez up top. He can shuffle people around. Um, I, I I actually don't think he will play him. Interesting. Yeah, if, he if he's genuinely got a knock. Um, one more question on Arsenal. Uh, obviously, they have had a little bit of a wobble over the last couple of weeks. Have yeah. you seen anything there that concerns you about them, or is it literally just a blip? No, I think genuinely a blip. The way that they're, they're, they're the way that Arteta talks, and and I know Steve Round really well. He's assistant, and they'll be super calm. They are 
literally just they concentrate on a process they don't look at the they don't look too far ahead and get stressed over results the results come because of the way that they've been performing and they were pretty dominant against Brentford in terms of possession but this couldn't create that and turn that into chances Brentford by the way are a very 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 good side and resilient and pushing themselves for a spot in Europe this year but they'll they'll keep ploughing away and playing the same way. And the way that they've done it has been so successful across the rest of the season. Arteta's not going to change. He, he's got his way, he's got his methodologies and he'll stick with it. And I, I think it's just a, a, a blip. And with that game, I mean, obviously Man United looking uh, from the outside are, are hoping for a, yeah. a draw in that game. They're, I mean, they're there, they're close. They, they've got you know, a couple of games extra that yep. they've played. But, you know, with the, the two games that they had in five days against Leeds, one of them in a draw and then a 2 nil win, um, you know, Ten Hag finally looks to have turned their prospects around. You know, what what do you think's changed there? What's gotten them within touch, striking distance this year? Getting shot of a Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that, no, is basically. it? Basically. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think it is. I think it's United the squad and it's not become about Cristiano Ronaldo and, and it's really United the team. He, he put, he, you know, by by getting shot of him, he put his, his mark on it in terms of what he's looking for from his players. And, and it wasn't all about this one personality and the, the, team's, the team's ticking at the moment. Marcus Rashford is continuing to show what a great player he is. They've recruited really well. Um, they look hard to break down at the back, and they're, they're scoring. They're scoring a stack of goals, and they've obviously been busy in the transfer market. And, and I, 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 as a manager, he's he's so single-minded on what he wants his team to play like. Mm. Ronaldo didn't fit into that, and you know we saw all the, the off-the-field dramas that were going on that were making a massive impact on the pitch. And moving him on has taken away that external factor or that even the internal factor that was causing so many problems. Um, Liverpool won the Merseyside derby on uh, Monday night, 2-0 against Everton, Mo Salah and Cody Gakpo mm. with his, uh, his first since arriving at the club. An important win and uh, I guess even more important for Jurgen Klopp, a clean sheet given the way that's They've defended this season. Yeah. Can Liverpool still make the top four? Do you think? No, no, I don't <laughs> think they will. Okay. They'll, 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 I mean, the, the thing is, they'll they'll think that this is suddenly turned the season around. But it's one win, and it is one win. It, Liverpool, across multiple seasons, have consistently played the way that they played yesterday. But. You know what? Let's have this conversation in three, four weeks' time. If they back it up again and again and again, then we can start to talk about them threatening Tottenham or threatening Newcastle. Um, or uh, They're not going to threaten Man City or, or Arsenal, but it's those other teams. Newcastle have had a little slip-up, so what's going to happen there? Um, Tottenham have had a slip-up against Leicester, so... They're the sides that they'll be looking to pick off and see if they can get in there. But you've also got, don't forget, you've got Man United in there as well. So mm. really, it's going to be for one spot. And I can't see him making it.
And to be fair, as much as it hurts me, I uh, I agree. I'm looking at that ladder and just can't see them getting anywhere near mm. consistent enough. Uh, what about Leicester and, and big Harry Suter? He uh, had a great game. He kept Harry Kane quiet in their big 4-1 win over the Spurs. Um, obviously, it's the other end of the pitch where they've turned their fortunes around, though. Ten goals in their last three games. Uh, but Harry got an assist as well. So, mate, all looking well for him and them. Mate, if you're calling that assist, it was a long ball up the <laughs> It goes down as <laughs> easy. You claim it, Spanner. Mate, I would claim an assist if it was me. I probably had a few of those just by good old whooshkas up the park that the striker picks up, turns, runs 40 metres and scores, and you get an assist for it. It's brilliant. Um, no, it was a great – it's good to see. I mean, obviously, he played his first game. There's an unfortunate goal, goal in his first game, but – He's a great signing for Leicester. It's a great club. And Brent, oh look, I, I think for all the trials and tribulations that they've gone through earlier in the season, they've hardly spent any money. They've got, you know, they're, they're going through a complete restructure. They're developing the stadium and they've sold off a lot of their best players. Uh, Madison might go in the summer. He, there's talk that he'd probably go. I mean, that'd be a massive loss for him. But, uh, but you know, They've, they, they have turned it around. And you're right, they've started scoring goals again. Brendan Rodgers is a very, very good manager and he's done great things with Leicester. But, um, yeah, I think they've really started to pick up their form and it's a great signing. For, and it's it's good to see a, a, an Aussie back in the Premier League, really. Yeah. And it's it's a great club. They'll, they'll love him there. The supporters are phenomenal. And I, I think they'll really warm to him. Uh, final one, Spanner. Interesting uh, to hear your thoughts on the situation at Southampton, who've sacked Nathan Jones after just three months in charge. A very bizarre press conference he did uh, last week where he, he almost seemed to attack his own yeah. players. And there are rumours now linking the Saints with, with Jesse Marsh, who, of course, had just been uh, frog-marched out of Ellen Road. Uh, but it seems as though Southampton really were left with little choice. That's uh, uh, awful collapse late on against Wolves, 10-man Wolves uh, at the weekend. And you never throw your players under the bus. It's a sure thing that you're... Well, not after three months. <laughs> no, nah, you're, go- you're gone. If you're going to do that after after three months, especially at the end of a transfer window, you're you're pretty much... Or, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to protect your own back because you've already had a little nudge from the chairman. And, um, yeah, you just go out all guns blazing, chuck a grenade in, which he kind of <laughs> has done and... and Look, it, it didn't work out. I mean, he, he had a phenomenal run. He, he did great at Luton. And then maybe it might have just been the wrong club. It might have been the wrong timing, wrong mm. club. He also came out previously and said, look, it, it, the team's not playing. The, and, and, and he did take accountability early on and said, I've not put my mark on this team. But after three months, you would expect to have done that and put your mark on it. What Get him some sort of... Um, you, you would be able to see a bit of a coach's identity coming out in the team yeah. after three months. You would expect that, and it didn't happen. And you, ultimately, it's it's the owners and, and the sporting directors' decisions that hired someone. So they've also got to be held a little bit accountable for, for bringing someone in that hasn't worked out. I'm sure he might leave with a very, very uh, tidy little settlement which, you know what, as a coach, if you go in three months somewhere, you get you get paid out for the two, three years you've got on your contract. 
he, he won't be he won't be grumbling too much. Smoking He'll get another cigars. gig and, and pick himself up. Yeah, I know exactly. Go play golf. Um, it's not looking good for Southampton. Bottom of the ladder, uh, four points from safety. Champions League is back this week. Wednesday, PSG Bayern and AC Milan versus Spurs. Uh, Thursday, Club Bruges against Benfica and Borussia Dortmund, who are going really well in Germany against Chelsea. Uh, and in the Premier League this weekend or later this week, Thursday morning, Arsenal, Man City. That's the big one. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Villa against Arsenal, Forest against Manchester City, who are back in action again. Uh, Newcastle against Liverpool. And then on Monday morning, it's Manchester United against Leicester. Uh, what a game that will be for Harry Sutar going to Old Trafford to play. And Spurs against West Ham. Uh, Spenny, we've got to leave you there, mates. Thanks for your time. And uh, care, guys. Enjoy uh, yeah. the rest of Don't go changing. Yes, a big week ahead for the women's game with the Cup of Nations, the headline acts. Let's chat as we always do at this time to Alicia Carnavas. Evening, Alicia. Happy Valentine's Day. Did you get your big bunch of flowers? I did indeed. And to you guys as well. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. So all boxes ticked here. No problems. Excellent. Uh, that sounded as though you and I were a couple there, Broski, when she said to you both. But uh, anyway, uh, Alicia, it all kicks off on Thursday in Goss with the Cup of Nations with Australia against Czechia. Uh, these are as we've heard before, uh, pretty much hand-picked opponents to try and replicate what the Matildas might encounter at the World Cup. So uh, can we take it that Czechia are similar to Ireland, our first opponents? Yeah, I think if we're looking at it that way, for sure, I think that's where we're, the, I guess the direct comparison is with the European teams, aligned Spain probably with Canada and Jamaica with Nigeria. So I think that's, I guess, what Tony is looking for is to sort of Match, match, up, match the Matildas rather up against teams that are similar and competitive, mm. to be fair and athletic, and really test us out in this last sort of hit out before the World Cup. So it's a bit of now or never, I think, um, for the Matildas. Um, how they track over the next week or so in this tournament is really, really important. Um, for me, they're probably the most resourced and high profile Matildas team in history. And I think arguably um, the most experienced on the international scale. So uh, if we don't start firing in this tournament, I think people have some questions. Yeah, with Absolutely. that comes expectations, Broski. Absolutely. Look, Spain are the toughest opponents on paper, but they've obviously got a whole heap of players missing. I mean, does that significantly weaken them or are they still strong enough, do you think? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because the Spanish league and the Spanish um, team has grown probably the the one one of the biggest growth teams in European football in the last two years. But um look, a second tier Spanish team I'd expect the Matildas to to beat. Um that would be the expectation all round. I think that the Matildas would come out and be quite dominant in that match. But um yeah, it, it's an interesting one. If we're not beating a second tier Spanish team, I think again, we'll be scratching our heads, but it's going to be very interesting because I still think they're going to bring a lot of quality uh, to this tournament as well. So the tests and the pressure, I think, will be on for, for players to perform and, and stake their claims as well. Yep. The depth is uh, pretty 
uh, long from what I'm led to believe. And uh, from Matilda's point of view, Katrina Gorey, I see, suggesting uh, that there's a fair bit of competitive tension on the training ground. So this is all getting real ahead of the Women's World Cup. Uh, talking to the Matildas, Alicia, good to see Lydia Williams get her first start for Brighton in the FA Women's Super League, although it wasn't a particularly happy debut. Yeah, tough game against Villa, wasn't it? it um, sort of was a disappointment, I think, for Lydia. I think she'll be disappointed defensively as well and perhaps um, reflecting on that as goalkeepers do, their involvement or, I guess, direction when it comes to defence. And sometimes we see this cohesion between goalkeepers coming into sides and, and the defence being responsive to new keepers in behind them with the communication. So... I think it's great Lydia's back um, in a team where she's starting and getting those minutes up, which I think is really, really important for a lot of our Matildas at the moment. There's a lot that aren't getting minutes um, as we would like. But um, hopefully next week, tough, tougher gig, I think, with Arsenal. But um, hopefully she can find her feet uh, coming through in the next game and, of course, here in Australia as well. And Sam Kerr just banged in another lazy four goals past her. Uh, Matilda's teammate Mackenzie Arnold in Chelsea's 7-0 uh, winning the League Cup, yet somehow she hasn't made it onto the podium for the FIFA Best Award. Incredible. It's rough, isn't it? It's a really, really tough one. And um, I guess the conversation in and around the game is uh, do people or is there consideration with the national teams as well? How are we weighted? Uh, against the Spains and the Englands um, by comparison that then carries Sam through to, to the podium, as you said, Broski. So, look, I think if she can come through this tournament and start to build some momentum as well uh, with the Matildas, with her own performance, if she can bring that goal-scoring ability, which she always does, um, into this tournament this week, I think that's going to be fantastic for the team, but hopefully for Sammy as well. Well, a little bit of transparency here. I'm actually one of those people who vote in the FIFA Best Awards. I have, yeah. a, I have a media vote. <laughs> wow. I had Sam in my top three, um, but obviously not enough. Uh, to, I don't know. They got in touch with me and said, do you want to be a representative to vote in it? So I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, I've done it for the last two or three years. But, yeah, I had Sam in, in my top three, but uh, clearly a lot of – other people didn't around the world uh, for some reason. Um, Alicia, yeah. let's um, move on to the A-League women's. Uh, the top of the table clash between Western United and Melbourne City was a predictably tight affair. Uh, good response from Western after that shock loss to the Jets. Was that the right result in the end for you? Yeah, I think so. And I, I would love to see um, United carry on this fairy tale. They're top of the table at the moment. And I think they needed to bounce back from that loss, absolutely. And I think um, the confidence that they will take from a match like this um, is going to be really, really important now in these latter stages of the competition. But a lot of the players did come out and and express their, their determination to win and to, to get back on top in terms of the mental aspect of their game as well. So I think that was important for them and see how they continue in this league. And Sydney, uh, they suffered a shock loss to Canberra United away down in Canberra. They do, they're six points off, off Western United. They do still have two games in hand. Does that rule them out of the premiership race, do you think, or, or do they still have a chance? Look, I think that rules them out of that minor premiership for sure. Uh, Sydney, I think they're just that little bit too far now in terms of the points. If if Western, as I expect them, continue um, in, in their winning ways, I think Sydney will just be that little bit too far out. So I think where they sit is probably where they'll finish. Maybe they'll creep up a place, but I think as we're seeing that top four 
I expect it to finish very, very similar. Okay, Alicia, just uh, one more before we finish tonight. Uh, the Canadian women's team have announced that they're going to play their fixture that was scheduled against uh, the USA, but it, it appears to most people that they're going to play under duress. Uh, what's going on with the Olympic gold medalists? If you can sum all that up in about 60 seconds, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's extraordinary, isn't it, what's happening over there? Um, as I understand it and as we read about it, uh, more comes to light. Basically, the players are saying, well, we haven't been paid for 12 months, right? No. Uh, we're, we're playing football. We're representing our country. We've got contracts in place. But um, Jerry Maguire, show me the money, basically, yeah. is, is where we're at, um, which is disappointing um, at the end of the day for anyone in a professional environment. You expect to be paid when you go to work. Very, very simple stuff. Um, and under duress, we have top teams like Olympic gold medalists sort of wanting to boycott a game against another fantastic team in the US. So in, in a World Cup year, um, not great. And I hope their federation resolve it ASAP. Yeah, growing pains for the women's game. But I tell you what, Spain in difficulty and Canada in difficulty. It's opening up for the Matildas <laughs> for the Women's World Cup. Hey, Alicia, thanks uh, so much. We'll speak to you again next week. See you, Alicia. Fabulous. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks so much for all your interaction again tonight. It's so good that we have so many of you listening to us and willing to get involved in football conversation. It's uh, healthy for the game in this country. Matt Rosinski from the Blue Mountains. Uh, on sportsmanship, says Matt, for someone who's attended A-League games since the inaugural year, it was a shame to see teammates Steve Corica or former teammates Steve Corica and Marco Rudan fall out live on television. In my opinion, Rudan took it too far. That degree of competitiveness at manager level can't contribute much to club results. Why then set that example for our good spectators and sportsmen? Interesting point. It is an interesting point, but I, for one enjoyed seeing Rudes and Corica going at each other. I think it shows passion. It shows what it means to them. And I mean, I said it when I was there at the game, that the players, they feed off that. The crowd feeds mm. off that. It gives us storylines and narrative. It gives and, us talking points. There's no it, doubt about that. Exactly. And yeah. builds it up for the next one. So as long as they don't cross the line, as long as it isn't any further than what we saw, which is two guys going off at each other, I'm, I'm, I love it. Okay. Uh, a shout out to Tino Mamone who tweeted us at Global Game SEN earlier on today. And he said, Simon, I'll listen in tonight if you give me a birthday shout out. I'm 45 <laughs> today and I'm mates with Redwig Steve down in Adelaide. There you go, Tino. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, mate. I hope you didn't switch off before we, get, <laughs> we did that little birthday greeting. Uh, Fabian Sposito here. Uh, really nice uh, text to our text line. What an honour, he says, to hear the great Sydney FC legend on radio with the best commentator in Australia. Robbie Thompson's not on tonight. Uh, <laughs> Broski, who are the top three players you ever played against and will you ever coach? Um, well, I mean, I guess the easy one will probably is the second part. I think I think I will. I think at some point... Um, I'm you just, fancy it, do you? I, yeah. I, I definitely I fancy it. I thought you didn't this want it. This has changed from six yeah. months ago even, oh, I reckon. Look, I'm still nowhere near that at the moment in my in my life. But look, I'm looking around, I'm seeing good mates of mine, Mark Milligan, David Carney. So it's FOMO. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. The fact that the, my generation are now starting to step into managing roles that I'm watching then and I'm getting excited seeing them on the sidelines and just thinking, um, you know, what all that would be like. But again, I'm just, I'm still not there. My, my kids are still too young and mm. in particular, they're not, you know, in football themselves. So there's... They're not dragging me towards it yet. I, I, I want them to grow up and, and uh, not need me anymore, and then I'll 
definitely be there. We still need you, Broski. Mm. Who's going to sit here on a Tuesday I'll, night? I'll come and do this and then coach on the weekend. <laughs> uh, Tim Coglin, we've had a couple of texts on the uh, Super League tonight as well. Tim Coglin, Euro Super League is starting to feel like a property developer who just reapplies with a slightly less offensive proposal over and over again until the locals get tired of fighting it and accept an ugly overdevelopment. I think that's a really good way of putting it, to be honest. Well described. Yeah, uh, and this one from Nathan in Epping. Uh, Manchester City supporters unfurling a banner supporting their lawyer. Manchester United potentially being bought by the Qataris. Modern football, where did it all go wrong? Uh, yeah, and I think for uh, those of us of a certain generation, it does feel a little bit like that. But we have to remember as well that all this commercialization of football started with FIFA back in the 1970s. Joao Havelange, when he got elected as president in 1974, did that deal with Adidas to commercialise the game, sell more uh, shirts, sell more boots. And that's where it started. And we've been on the slippery slope ever since. And uh, I guess it's just a different era, isn't it, Broski? And I I often have this conversation with people, uh, you know, about do do you you idolise players of today? Now, I don't in the same way because I'm older and, you know, my, my favourite player at Man City was Colin Bell in the 1970s. Now, younger listeners won't remember him probably, but they'll probably get just as nostalgic for a Yaya Toure or a Mo Salah or, uh, you know, if you're a bit older, a Dennis Bergkamp or something like that. Who, who was your favourite player growing up, Alex? Uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy. Yeah, see, that's Easily. your generation, isn't it? He was it? brilliant. And I look back at Euro 2004, World Cup 2006, they were my sort of founding years. I love watching the England-France game where Zidane scored the two goals in stoppage time. He had Vieira and it was against Skulls, Lampard, Gerrard. Those were the players that I grew up with and and idolised and looked up to particularly poor Skulls as well. I was a Manchester United sort of Went towards Manchester United because they won things. Yeah, we'll, and brush, they were we'll brush over that. <laughs> but in um, your opinion, then, I mean, is the game better for it? No, no, no. I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying it's it's different. It it everything evolves well, and changes. Football today is unrecognisable from the sport that I mm. grew up watching mm. on the crumbling terraces in Manchester, yeah. uh, when Peter Swales, a local Mancunian who sold televisions and and stereos yeah. in a shop owned Manchester City or was certainly the chairman of Manchester City and the majority shareholder. <laughs> you know, it's complete. It's just a different world. Can it's I a globalised world. Was he a more relatable figure, for example? No, there, we hated him. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, for the same reason, though. You could relate. There were players who seemed like normal people. These guys now, you look at someone like Neymar, who is completely, he's, he's not a person anymore. Mm-hmm. He's a brand. He's a celebrity. Yeah. Um, you can even say that to an extent about Messi and Ronaldo, even though these guys are transcendent. But, but that's a, that's a byproduct, you... again, of the different era that we live in. The technology is different. So with social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything else, mm. you know, they, they can speak to their fans via those mm. personal platforms. Back in the day, you got quoted in the newspaper if you got interviewed, and that was it, mm. essentially. And you could live a, a much quieter life. Now, people say that the modern stars are unrelatable to your average fan. I actually think in some ways they're more relatable because they've got that sort of personal connection yeah, you know that you can them, follow them. Yeah, and you know yeah. a lot more about them. Um, anyway, it's look, it's a roundabout way of saying I don't necessarily think it's better today. There are things that I miss from the past, definitely. Mm. But crumbling terraces and police horses treading on me and, uh, you know, hooliganism in the 70s is certainly certainly not one of them. And in that way, the modern game is a little bit better. But 
the downside is is that the cash that the game has now is, and let's be brutal about this, it's obscene. It's, it is. Given things that are happening around the world, it is obscene, the amount of money that gets thrown at football players. Yeah. But it's, it's thrown at footballers because the game is still, probably even more so now, the most popular in the world. Mm. And where you get popularity and publicity and notoriety, you get money, you get fame, and you get some dodgy people too, mm. unfortunately. Is there a, a, a negative in that byproduct that kids now don't grow up wanting to play for? Well, for example, you, Broski came through Marconi, right? Mm. So you were looking up to playing for that, and you hear the stories about the Socceroos of the Golden Generation wanting, growing up, a lot of them wanting to play for Croatia because mm. that was... But now every kid wants to play for Madrid, Barcelona. That is so far removed from their geographical location. Well, or they even... want to be. Well, that's a globalised world, yeah. but they want to be Messi or Ronaldo. That's mm. the difference. Yeah, the two. We grew up supporting clubs. Mm. I think more kids today grow up supporting individual stars. Uh, it's a fascinating conversation and one that will no doubt go on, but unfortunately we're out of time. Off to a break on the other side of it. We'll wrap up the show with Football Asia. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we round out the show with Football Asia in the company of Paul Williams from the Asian Game. Evening, Paolo. Simon, Alex, how are you going, guys? Very good, very good. Uh, Let's start with the performance of Al-Halal at the FIFA Club World Cup. We asked uh, last week whether they could spring a surprise again against Flamengo in the semis. They did that, uh, but fell a bit short in the final against Real Madrid. Yeah, I don't think uh, too many people would have been surprised with the outcome of the final, but I think certainly surprised by the outcome of the semi-final against Flamengo. I sat here last week. Even myself was probably a little bit um, sceptical of whether they could get that job done against Flamengo, given all the the circumstances around Al-Halal. At the moment, they had a number of key players out. Mohamed Kano was going to miss that match with suspension as well and all the injuries that that I'd spoken about. Um, But they got that job done. They were aided by a red card in that game, but they were able to to see that match out. But certainly in that final, Real Madrid were were far too strong. They are the, one of the best teams in the world for a reason. So it was probably always going to be a, a step too far, but still to score three goals in a final against Real Madrid is is nothing to be sneezed at. Musa Morega had an open net. I'm not sure quite how he missed it. That would have made it 5-4 with 10 minutes to go, which potentially could have been interesting, but um, a step too far, but still another fantastic achievement for for Al-Halal, for Saudi football, for Asian football to um, to be on that stage. Yeah, Asian clubs have, have done well at the FIFA Club World Cup in recent years. Um, could the expanded competition, which of course is coming, I think mm. is it 2024 or 2025? I can't remember which. Uh, but that could be a real boon for the Asian region. I certainly think it could be. Yeah, 2025, I think it's slated for at the moment and um you know we've spoken a lot about saudi arabia in the, the last couple of weeks don't be surprised if that's held in saudi arabia by the way I, they've, <laughs> they've spoken <laughs> <laughs> they've they've said that they're on the record of saying they want to host these big international events so don't be surprised if it's it, if it's held in the uh, in in saudi arabia but i certainly think you know for, for asian football for a lot of the football outside of probably europe and, and south america but even for south america as well i think that the expanded tournament can be uh, can be a really good thing 
having more teams play at this level and getting more opportunity, more exposure, more money, because of course there'll be a lot of money behind this as well, I think can only be a good thing. Given it's every four years, it'll probably be the preceding four ACL winners. So it's still going to be difficult to qualify for. So for Australian teams, it's still an aspiration, but we know winning the Champions League is awfully difficult to do, but it at least gives clubs an aspiration. You know, you've got, you know, a, a chance over a four-year cycle. If you if you win that Champions League, you, um, you're you more than likely going to get a going to get a spot at the, the Club World Cup. So I think it could be fantastic for uh, for football outside the sort of the, the big parts of the world. It will be. And Kevin Musket uh, looking looking over to Japan over the weekend. He's won another trophy with Yokohama, uh, lifting the Japanese Super Cup with a 2-1 win there. He did, yeah. It can be a bit of a poison chalice at times. I think only two of the past 10 winners of the Super Cup have actually gone on to then win uh, the uh, the J-League that season. So he'll be trying to buck a little bit of a, a trend. They got a 2-1 win over Kofu on the weekend. It was it was a curtain raiser to the season. It's their first real competitive match. So no surprise, it wasn't a classic performance, as you wouldn't expect first up. But they got the job done. They got another piece of silverware. But the real stuff starts... This weekend, they've got a tough match first up away to uh, to Kawasaki Frontale. Both teams go into that with some injury concerns. Damiao and Kobayashi for Kawasaki will be missing. Uh, uh, Kenta Inoue, a recent signing for Yokohama. Um, Ryuta Koike, Ken Matsubara will be missing for, for Yokohama as well. So neither side's at full strength coming into the season. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage that over the, the first couple of weeks because we know in Japan, particularly in Japan, that early season momentum can be absolutely critical. Uh, and Yokohama F Marinos and Kawasaki Frontale uh, have shared the last six J-League titles between them. So is it fair to say those two clubs are going to be the pace setters again or is there somebody else that's caught your eye this season? Yeah, I certainly think those two, on paper at least, look the most likely. But I think... If there is going to be a challenge of the season, it looks like it could come from Sam Freche Hiroshima, who finished third last season. Um, they had a standout campaign last year under Michael Skibber, their, their new German coach. Um, they've been able to retain the the core of that squad. Uh, Mitsuta, who was a standout player last year, a lot of people thought he uh, he might get um, a chance over in Europe, but they've retained him at least for the first half of the season, which is uh which is really important. So if there's going to be a challenger, it could be Sam Freche Hiroshima. Um, but we know with the J-League, despite the fact that Kawasaki and Yokohama have had a monopoly for the last six years, it is an ultra-competitive league and it does always throw up a surprise or two. No one saw Sam Freche doing what they did last season. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a challenger from outside the, the the teams that everyone's tipping to be up there, maybe a Gamba Osaka or someone like that, who just shoot up the table unexpectedly and throw themselves into uh, to the title race. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes this season. It all starts this weekend. The Asian Champions League also resumes this week. Uh, it started mm. a year ago and still hasn't finished. Uh, the round of 16 ties in the West, uh, again, like I said, coming back this week. And Roa is already through to the final in the East. Uh mm. Who do you fancy in those uh, round of 16 matches? It's the tournament that just won't end this one. It's <laughs> remarkable. Um, and 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 the, we've got the, the West Zone knockouts this weekend and then the finals not until May. So we've got another couple of months to wait as well. So um, it's remarkable how long this has dragged out. But you'd suspect Al-Halal, given what we saw in the, the, the Club World Cup, 
what we've seen from them over the last couple of editions of this tournament as well. That have to be strong favourites to um, to make it through from the West Zone. But if there's a team or two that could cause a surprise, Alda Hale, we know how, what they're doing there on top of the Qatar Stars League. They're a um, an outside smoke in. Al Shabab as well, who are right in the title race in the Saudi Pro League. They've got Eva Banega as well, the Argentinian player. Um, they're equal on points, I think, at the top of the Saudi Pro League. They could meet Al Halal in the quarterfinals if they both win their round of 16 tie. And I'd give them a sneaky chance in in that one and would potentially set up a um, a semifinal maybe against uh, Al Dehale. So, um, yeah, a couple of smokies to keep an eye on there. Uh, Paul, why has it taken so long to get to this stage in the West? Is it COVID-related or is this about managing the changeover? Because, of course, in 2023, uh, the Champions League will start later this year rather than February 2024 or March 2023, yep. if you see what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a little bit of that, trying to manage uh, the, the, the gap. But it was also because... The World Cup was played in November last year, which is normally the time slot that the final would be played. You had Qatar that was in essentially a six-month build-up to that tournament. Saudi Arabia as well went into camp late September, early October. Those two are the the, the power political players in in that part of the, the region, and I suspect that they didn't want to complete the, uh, the knockout rounds of the Asian Champions League with their best clubs being depleted of their best players. So it was decided that, um, also, to, as you said, to manage the crossover, that they'd move the knockout rounds back to February. Of course, the final was meant to be played at the same times, but um, Urawa managed to get that pushback so they can play that um, play that final at Saitama because there's some some pitch renovations going on there as well. So it is, as I said, the, the tournament that will not end. It's an 18-month tournament. It's a, it's a uh, marathon, that's for sure. Yeah, Urawa got the longest wait ever to find out who they will play in the final. Um, elsewhere in Asia, China has announced it's going to return to the home and away format for the Super League. That after a heavily uh, COVID-disrupted season last time out, which is good to hear. Uh, let's finish off, though, in India, Paul. Uh, Mumbai City have won the premiership ahead of the finals with two games to spare. We've spoken about them before on the show mm. in the last couple of months. Uh, so success for Rostin Griffiths and head coach Des Buckingham. They're part of the City Football Group, of course. Uh, will they go on and win the whole thing? It's hard to go past them at the moment. They're now up to 18 games unbeaten. There's two games to go in the regular season. So they're odds on to almost finish the season undefeated, which almost then adds a little bit more pressure coming into knockout finals because anything can happen. But given the form they've shown this season, they're they're hard to go past, but the the finals race as well is is really interesting. The the gap between fourth place and seventh seventh placed on the table is only one point, as I said, with with two games to go. You've got a couple of those teams playing each other over the the, the final couple of weeks of the season. You've got Mo and Bagan playing Hyderabad, who are in second. Mo and Bagan are in fourth tonight, which will be crucial in, you know, determining whether Hyderabad finish second, whether Mo, Mo and Bagan can keep their spot or whether they slip back in the table as well. So it's a fascinating end to the season. Sure is. And uh, plenty of Aussie interest as well. Of course, Demi Petratos over there and uh, Roy Krishna, Osama Malik, Josip Gombau, part of the coaching ranks. Uh, great stuff. Hey, thanks, Paul. Uh, we'll speak to you again next week on uh, Football Asia. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, guys. That's us for another week on The Global Game. Adam Peacock is in the chair next week. I'm uh, away for a week. Uh, winners of our prizes tonight, John for his 
Uh, question on the Super League. You win the A-League tickets. Congratulations. And Jason FC for his question to Steve Corriger on Paddy Yazbek. You get the T-shirt. Broski, where are you off to this weekend? Uh, Sydney, Brisbane in studio this week. Lovely. And I'm off to Melbourne for the Melbourne Derby, which should be fantastic. Enjoy your football. Thanks for listening and for your contributions as ever. See you next week on The Global Game.